Thank you for listening to the audio podcast of the King's Crossing Church of Christ. To learn more or subscribe, please visit our website at kingscrossingcoc.com. Thank you, Gavin. Amen. So uh, next week, looking forward to getting started on a new study for a new year. Uh, The topic of this new study, I'm going to call it Uncharted. And, um, you know, we've been going through a difficult time. I know we allude to that fact often, but uh, the world is just uh, upside down and different. And even as we have the prospect of, of of a vaccine on the horizon, I know one of my family members has already started getting their first dose of it last week. Um, even so, we're still in a transitional time, and I don't think it's the case that once we get past the virus, everything in the future will be exactly like it was before the virus. This has been a transformational experience in our community, uh, in our city, in our country, and really around the world. I thought it might be worth some time, especially at the beginning of a new year, reflecting on how is it that we move forward into unfamiliar territory? How do we do that faithfully? How do we do that creatively and boldly, not to be overcome by our fears of the unknown, but instead to trust God? You know, that's one of the great illusions of the past is this sense that at any point in time, we really knew what the future was or we really had it all together and knew what to do. In fact, it's always been our dependence on God and our willingness to hold on to the hands of God that would give us a faithful guide into the future. Because the future for us is always something that's a bit uncharted and unknown. You just never know what's going to happen next. So we're going to spend several weeks thinking on some things related to that. I'm also excited. uh, Three of those Sundays, I'm planning to feature some conversations with some of our uh, leaders here at church, just talking about a few of our different ministries and some of the things we're thinking thinking about as we move forward. Uh, obviously, we've all had to work at making some adaptations, some changes, and you know, reconceptualizing some of the ways that we do things. And so uh, I'm hopeful it'll be a good time for all of us as we prepare, hopefully, for this season of life to start moving behind us. What are we going to do as we move forward? I'd also reference, uh, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, February 7th, uh, the first, uh, I believe it's the first maybe it's the 6th, 6th or 7th, the first Sunday in February is when we're intending uh, to relaunch in-person Bible classes and also uh, our life group program. Uh, You're going to start hearing a lot more from Kevin uh, in the coming weeks. He's kind of overseeing both of those aspects of our congregation, but uh, Kevin's going to be working very hard behind the scenes and has been already uh, getting some things in place. I would also mention that because we want to place an emphasis on opportunities to connect with people in person, we are going to be shifting the times around of what we do. So it's our intention that as of uh, that first Sunday in February, that we would start doing worship at actually 9.30 instead of 10, and then we'll have our Bible classes follow worship, just to make it more convenient for people, if you come for worship, to stick around and have some opportunity to interact with your brothers and sisters in Christ. So looking forward to that. For today, I want to start with a question What do we do with what we remember? You've got memories in your life. You've had experiences. Maybe some seem more valuable than others. Some you like, some you don't like, but your memories and your experiences shape you in different ways. What is it that we ought to do with the things we can remember? 
Maybe some of your strongest memories are things from your childhood and things that happened along the way. Maybe it's stuff that's just happened within the last months or in the last few years that have been some of your more formative life experiences. But you've got things that you can remember. What are you going to do with those things? Now, as I prepped to preach this sermon, I had titled this several months ago, The Star Rises. I don't pay that much attention to astronomy, so it might seem like I'm being really timely and paying attention to recent events. That really wasn't even what I was thinking about. But it was the case this week that something unusual happened in the sky. Jupiter and Saturn over a period of days were, were aligning, and then they overlapped in such a way that they called it the Christmas star. And uh, according to people who study this sort of thing, they say the last time it happened so brightly, so perfectly, was in 1226 A.D. So about 800 years ago was the last time you could have seen this particular formation in the sky looking the way that it was. Now maybe that's just something you went outside last week and took a look at the sky and said, wow, that's pretty bright, pretty neat. And maybe you never think about it again. Maybe that's something you refer to from time to time as a, a memory that you have. I don't know, maybe you'll remember it, maybe you won't. But what do we do with the things that we can remember? I think in some ways, the culture that we've been brought up in really prioritizes thinking about the future over thinking about the past. There's two words that we almost always link together. If I say something is new and improved, right? Right? <laughs> Anything that's new must surely be better than what came before it. It's just a foregone conclusion and assumption about most things. If it's new, it must be better. You need to just let go of whatever happened in the past. Don't reflect on it. Don't think about it. But just the same, our memories persist. Do I just relish in the past to the point that I idolize it and say, well, the future will never be as good as the good old days? And do I cease thinking about what opportunities I have because I'm so focused on the good old days as I remember them? Do I completely reject the past and miss out on the, the lessons I could have learned from it and focus only on what's coming next? I think either of those things can be difficult. So in light of this uh, star planet formation in the sky this last week, a lot of people were talking about what they call the Star of Bethlehem that star that those eastern magicians saw in the sky that led them to Bethlehem after Jesus was born. They traveled from the east, seeing this formation in the sky, interpreting it to be of great significance, and frankly, in interpreting it correctly at the time, that they headed to Jerusalem, uh, excuse me, to Bethlehem. They wanted to see this child that had been born, which to them was of great significance. Uh, if you got to tune into Kevin Burr's Bible class a couple of weeks ago, he was talking about this and made some interesting points about exactly who these guys were, uh, specifically that they were probably, you know, pagan people. These are magicians of a pagan religion who still showed up to see Jesus. He says, in a lot of ways, this anticipates that Jesus really will be the true star of Bethlehem, the light to the Gentiles, that foreigners are finally going to find their way to God because of Jesus and what he's done. Jesus himself is the true light to the nations. But if we were to talk about significant memories, there is one memory that just a small handful of disciples shared with Jesus where they were able to see him in his full glory, truly shining like a star, as bright as any star. 
But yet only just a handful of them were able to see this. It's a story that we've been able to pass down, but not many of them got to have this experience. Luke chapter 9 in verse 28 tells this story. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. There's this little aside note. He really didn't know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at the time what they had seen. This is such a significant encounter because it's different than most of the stories we typically talk about when we talk about Jesus. You have the, the big events of Jesus' birth and his death and his resurrection, but in between, we generally kind of gravitate toward the stories, you know, his parables that are so insightful and interesting, or maybe the stories about people that he healed or things that he did, but this is just a different category of story, isn't it? This is really something about who Jesus actually is. Who exactly is this person that we've been following and listening to? Because we see his significance, because look at who shows up for a Jewish person to be there like Peter or James or John, and all of a sudden, Moses shows up. What happens the last time you see Moses up on top of a mountain? The presence of God is there, but also God speaks to him. He gives him the law. When Moses and God are on a mountain together, the next thing that happens is that there are new scriptures there is a new word from the Lord that occurs in that scenario. That would have been amazing just to have Moses show up. But Elijah also shows up. When you think about Elijah and the top of a mountain, if you remember the old story, what do we associate with that? Elijah in that great standoff versus the prophets of Baal, one versus 450 as the world would see it. And they used all the pomp and circumstance and dancing and flailing around and cutting themselves to call the attention of Baal to light that altar on, file, on fire. Elijah has some, some great zingers as he mocks them, and then all he simply has to do is just ask for God's help. God sends down, we think it would have been a lightning bolt from heaven. He ignites the sacrifice. All of it's burned up, including all the water that surrounded it. It was drenched. It shouldn't have been able to catch flame, but it's thoroughly consumed. And when God and Elijah meet on top of a mountain, there is a powerful display of God's majesty, his greatness, and his power. But now both of these are present on top of a mountain. Everyone's glowing in majestic glory, Jesus is present, and in fact, we have both of those things happening again. 
we have a new word from the Lord in Jesus Christ, who himself is the word of God. We have a new full embodiment of the power of God in Jesus Christ. In fact, even as Peter, of course, the text mentions, he doesn't really know what he's saying. Peter just talks when he doesn't know what to do, it seems. But he just starts talking and says, you know, I can, we can build three tabernacles. In fact, that wouldn't even be appropriate because not even Moses and Elijah are worthy to have equal footing with the king of kings. It wasn't even appropriate to build three. Jesus is the one they've come down to respond to. It goes so far beyond anything that anyone would have expected because Jesus ties together the past and the future. Jesus ties together the hope of history, but also all the promises of God's future. If we're going to look at Jesus in a way that is truthful, that is full, the way that he's meant to be understood, we don't turn a blind eye to our past, to our memories, or to the promises of what the future holds. In fact, we look through the lens of the Old Testament at Jesus and see the way he fulfilled so many of God's promises, that there are many scriptures we could have taken one way, but now that Jesus has come, we see with entirely different eyes. He changes the way that we understand all that came before him, but then also we're able to look at him and beyond him at what comes next all these promises. In Jesus, we find the full story, and all of that is present when Jesus is transfigured there before them on that mountain. So Peter is one of the people present, and even though it says they didn't tell anybody about it at first, because I'm not sure, I'm, I just imagine it was quite a while before they could really make sense of what it was that just happened to them. They're not ready to talk about it immediately, so the significance of it may not have been clear at first, but with time, it's a story that Peter held on to. It would be easy to talk to someone like Peter and say, yeah, well that, that story was a long time ago. We're going to look at a passage here from 2 Peter chapter 1. This is years and years after the event. Wouldn't it be easy to say, yeah, Peter, that was a cool thing that happened, but sure, Jesus rose from the dead and he's ascended to the Father, but now it's just you. And the church is in danger. It's under persecution by preaching what you're preaching you could get yourself killed. You could get yourself harmed. What have, you, what have you really got to gain by hanging on to your faith, hanging on to your memories or your stories? Because look at what's happening to the people that we care about. You've got to live in the present. Think about the danger of your situation. So there's a lot of pressure on him to cave in every circumstance. And ultimately, it's the fundamental lie that we all face from the devil. Surely not. God has spoken, God has acted, God has answered, God has helped us. We've seen it with our eyes, we've experienced it in our lives, and Satan comes and taps us on the shoulder and says, surely not, surely not. He's been saying it as, as early as the garden, where God told them what he wanted, he told them what to do, and he says, well, surely you're not going to die. Did he really say that? Is that really what he said? Are you going to continue to hang on to that? Satan approaches us. I was trying to think what to compare him to. In a lot of ways, you could say that once you become a Christian, Satan is like the worst ex ever. He is like a terrible ex-partner from a bad relationship who just keeps trying to work his way back into your life to mess things up for you. 
Why did we leave Satan behind? Because we had great reasons to. He is the worst of the worst. He is a habitual liar. He's an abuser. He's a manipulator. He's a serial adulterer. You name it. He embodies all the worst of everything, but he's always trying to convince us to look back and say, maybe back when I had things that way, it wasn't quite as bad as I'm thinking it was. Or maybe what I have in Christ isn't quite as good as I hope that it is. And so he brings up that question, these distracting false hopes, you know, surely not. You know, sure, be a Christian, but you got to hedge your bets, don't you? you got to start thinking about other options. And so while Jesus invites us to cling to him and hang on to the hope that he provides, Satan wants to invite us to hang on to that a little bit, but to start looking for any other source of security that we can find to the point that we get so distracted by the secondary stuff that we never get around to focusing on the thing that's most important. Yeah, my faith is in Jesus, but if I could just get people to look at me a certain way and think certain things about me and what I'm capable of, if I could just be, be good enough on my own, if I could just have this or have that or own this or own that, then everyone would know this about me. And yeah, I'm kind of hanging on to Jesus, but I'm still grasping for that other stuff. That's the influence of Satan, always inviting us to be double-minded and divided. Sure, it's a good thing, but don't you need to hedge your bets a little bit as you go? So will I ignore the things that I was promised? Will I ignore and forget about what I promised to God in the moment of my baptism? I want to look at what Peter does with what he remembers. Surely some memories are of more significance for us than others, but with one of his very significant memories, as he faces persecution and challenge, look at the way that he talks about his experience there on the mountain. He says, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So Peter is dealing with present predicaments, those who are opposed to the faith, those who would distract or discourage, those who threaten the church, but he deals with them by remembering, making space in his mind to hang on to what God had done in his life and what he had seen. And notice the way he talks as an eyewitness. I saw with my eyes what he did. I saw him transfigured. I heard the sound of God's voice speaking. And say whatever else you will, I'm not letting go of what I experienced and know to be true. We hang on to these truths about Jesus, and what we do with our best memories is that we choose to build on these things. I wonder in your life what some of your formative experiences have been. As this is a time of year many of us have, have thought about family, perhaps been able to be with family, significant people, loved ones, 
I wonder what some of the things are in your mind that you know you need to hang on to. Keep in front of your eyes a little more often. Who's the person who really influenced you a lot as a Christian to shape the kind of Christian that you've become? Who's the person who really convinced you that it was worth saying yes to the Lord in your life? Who's the role model that really encouraged you? What was the thing that you prayed about so much, you prayed earnestly and you felt anxiety not knowing what the outcome would be and then God came through in some powerful way? What is that story in your life that you need to remember to keep in front of your eyes more often because Peter says a a memory of an experience with God can be a life-giving, empowering thing. He says it's like being in a dark and murky place but there being a bright torch to hang on to. In the middle of a place that's otherwise dismal and confusing, knowing what God has done provides us with that torch. And so he says in the hard times, We have a source of light to follow as we go through the darkness, but he says, even so, we know that morning star is already rising in our hearts. Usually when they would speak about a morning star, they were making reference to to Venus. And when they'd see that bright light rising, for them, they would think of it as the dawn of a new age. Jesus is that morning star, and in him, a new age is making its way in. And in fact, it's already started happening within each of us. And until Jesus returns and that dawn is in full view, we allow his love and his promises to warm our hearts and to give us courage. So again, this morning, I invite you to think about, as we we move to the end of 2020, none of us knows what 2021 is going to hold. If, If 2020 taught us anything, it surely must be that truth. You have no idea what the next year is going to hold for any of us. But we know that God is already there. And if we continue to hang on to our memories, our remembrances of what God has already done, if we refuse to be distracted by things that would discourage us and get us off course, we can walk faithfully into the future following that bright torch of the presence of Christ, knowing that the dawn is coming in the darkness. Would you pray with me? God, we're so grateful for all the things we find in Scripture about Jesus, about who he was, the things that he said, the things that you said about him. Father, we know that the new day is coming, that the kingdom of God is at hand, the fullness of the kingdom rushes this way, Lord, help us to live as people who are watchful and ready for the day of the Lord. Help us to cling to the truths that we know, to hold on loosely to the distractions that people would throw our way. Lord, continue to be with us and bless us. Be with everyone who's been so negatively affected this year, Lord, by the virus not merely those who've contracted it or even died from it, Lord, but all the other things that have happened because of the situation that we're in. So give us wisdom, Lord, as we move forward, but help us to remember that it was never up to us to have enough wisdom on our own, for truly we have always been dependent on you for the light that we need for our path so we know where to go. Lord, please make the road straight before us. Show us the way. 
Give us courage to take steps where you would want us to go. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.